Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Today's sermon was preached in 1981 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hogue Sound, Florida by the late Reverend Don Wardlaw. It is titled, Hypothermia. I trust you will enjoy this wonderful message. Amen. Chapter 24 of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. We're reading beginning with verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple... And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word this afternoon. We're glad, dear Lord, we've learned to trust it. We thank Thee, our Father, that we believe and are sure that this is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord will take His Word today and use it in our hearts for its intended purpose. Bless the unworthy minister of the hour. Lord, guide our thoughts, and may we say what Thou would have us to say and forget what we ought not to say. May, Lord, this hour be crowned with Thy presence, with anointing on the ministry of the Word, and on the hearing. And we shall praise Thee for what Thou dost do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Take you for a text, this 12th verse. What speaks to us concerning a condition that Jesus says will exist at the time of the end. I'm not going to endeavor to go through these, this chapter with you concerning the signs and the events, the interesting things that shall take place just at the end time. They're described for us here. They're interesting. But suffice it to say that this text of Scripture in verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This text is taken from the context where Jesus is talking about the second coming. Speaking about, no doubt, about the day that you and I are living in. I am firmly convinced that Jesus Christ could come today. <clears throat> I don't know when he's coming. Neither do you. But I am convinced by reading the word and looking at the events that are taking place in our world that we are living in the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or next year, I do not know. But friend, we are close to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In this section of scripture, we have some warning given to us. These signs are given to us not only for our information, but they are given to us for our warning. We are to be ready. Friend, I can think of no greater tragedy this afternoon than for a group of people that have the privileges and the opportunities that you and I have attending Hope Sound Camp, having an open Bible, an open heaven, and a great high priest in heaven not to make it when Jesus comes. What a tragedy to be left behind. And we are given some warning signals, some warning signs. You'll notice, for instance, that in this portion of Scripture, the word deceive occurred three times in the, in the short verses which I read in your hearing. Take heed, Jesus said, that no man deceive you. I seems hardly necessary to inform or to talk to an intelligent crowd like this this afternoon that you and I are living in a day of deception. All the Jim Jones didn't die in 1978 in Guyana. All the deceivers have not passed off the scene of action. Deceivers, Jesus said, are going to abound. They're going to multiply. They're going to be more and more and more deceivers and more and more and more deception as we come to the end time. <clears throat> there never was a time when there were any more false cults and false religions and there was never any more time that there was any more of the false that masqueraded as the true than there is today. Brother, I tell you, you can turn on your radio, you can pick up the newspaper, you can read whatever you want to read, you're going to find message after message, time after time, deception is being portrayed as the truth. You and I are going to have to stay close to this old book. When Paul was writing to his son on the faith, Timothy, Concerning the events of the last days, he said, But thou, you know who you learned these things from, and hast been assured of them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, the only safeguard that you and I have from deception is to live close to God and live in this whole book. If you don't live in the page of this book, sir, you become a prime candidate for deceive, deception. 
People who have been smarter than most of us are here. And people who have had as good a religion at one time as many people here have gone off into some, some unspeakable, ungodly forms of religion today and they think they're doing what is right. They have become absolutely and completely deceived. And Jesus said one of the forms of one of the signs of the last days would be deception. And I want to hurry on to this text. For in this text of Scripture, we are given another sign of the second coming, another thing that's going to be prevalent at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this is what I want to talk to you about for a while this afternoon. That is this thing of a lessening of love, a cooling off of love. And I'd like to talk to you for a while about spiritual hypothermia. I didn't get many men's there, but I suppose you don't know what that big word means. <laughs> what is hypothermia anyway? Well, hypothermia is a very dangerous condition. It's not inherited and it's not contagious, but it is nonetheless dangerous. If you could go out in the western part of the country, and of course it happens in the east, but Use your imagination and go with me west, out in the mountains of Idaho, and uh, take an elk hunting expedition with, with my father and myself. We're out there hunting elk. We have our weapons with us. When we arise in the morning, it's chilly. The water is, the ice is formed on the water in the water bucket, and we and the frost is in the valley when we ride the animals out to the hunting, to the, to the mountains. While we're riding, the sun begins to come over the horizon. The rays of the sun begin to warm us. It's a beautiful, clear, blue sky. The sun begins to shine, warms us. We remove our coats. We put them in the saddlebags. We, it's a very comfortable day. We tie the animals and leave them and start off across the mountain in our hunt. We're engrossed in what we're doing. We're trailing the, the animals and looking for sign, and we're enjoying the beautiful scenery and breathing clean, unpolluted air and uh, drinking from a babbling brook when we're thirsty and enjoying ourselves, enjoying ourselves to such a great extent that we fail to recognize the clouds that are piling up on yonder western horizon. The day is warm, and we're hunting in our shirt sleeves, perhaps, when suddenly there's a sort of a chill in the air. A few drops of rain begin to splatter down and uh, we look up and there are the clouds rolling and the heavens have become cloudy and the sun has ceased to shine. And that sudden fall shower falls on us and we look for shelter but uh, a pine tree doesn't offer much protection and we've left our coats and we've left our rain gear uh, in the camp and so there we are at the mercy of the elements and the rain pelts down. The temperature drops about 20 degrees. A sharp northwest wind is now blowing. Our clothing is soaked. There's something that happens to people when they come into that condition. They begin to shiver. And uh, the body in its own natural defenses tries to warm itself. You shiver and you, you uh, feel cold and, and you look for a shelter. But there's no shelter and you're miles from the camp and a long ways away from a fire. 
So you start back to the animals to ride back in, but it's a long, long walk, and the breeze is cold. And some way the clothing that felt so warm in the morning under the rays of the sun now affords no protection at all. And as you walk, something begins to happen to the inner temperature of your body. Something called hypothermia, a lowering of the core temperature of the physical body. If that is allowed to progress over a period of time and not really all that long time, you find yourself, you stop shivering. You feel a little more comfortable. If you could take your temperature at that time, you would find that your bodily temperature has already started down. There have been dozens and hundreds of hunters and outdoorsmen who have been lost and found next spring are found sometime later dead of their, of their ordeal simply because they suffer from this terrible thing called hypothermia. It is a cooling off of the core temperature of the body. Friend, you can be awfully cold on the outside, but as long as you can keep the core temperature warm, as long as you can keep that blood circulating, you can stand a lot. But let that wind blow and let that temperature begin to go down in your body and you suffer something called hypothermia. You need to get to a fire. You need to get to someplace warm. You need to get to someplace where you can have that condition taken care of. It is a condition that is always fatal if it is carried out to its extremities. It is a condition that unless it is rectified and remedied will always cause you to become unaware of how cold you are. They tell us that when the body temperature lowers past a certain point, people become unaware of how cold they are. They don't feel cold anymore. They begin to feel rather comfortable. And on your journey back to the animals, you're wet and you're cold and you don't feel quite so cold. You feel awfully tired. You feel so weary. If I could just lay down and take a nap. If you succumb to that feeling, sir, it'll be the last nap you ever lay down to take. And there is something of that condition pictured for you and me in this portion of Scripture spiritually. There is a condition that I believe the Bible describes here, which is a lessening of the body temperature in the life of the Christian. It is a lessening of love and a lessening of warmth and a lessening of heat in the soul of man. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is a fatal something. It grips the soul. And there are hundreds and thousands of people across America tonight who are succumbing to spiritual hypothermia. Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. The Bible said that there's going to come a time in the last times when the love of many would go less and less. There would be a cooling off of devotion and a cooling off of love. And I tell you, sir, we are living in that day. We are living in that time. Who among us could, could honestly refute the statement that we are living in a time of cooling off? The atmosphere is not warm like it ought to be. Thank God for a good atmosphere and hope sound. Thank God for places sprinkled and scattered around the country where the fires are still burning. But I want to tell you something, friend. You can go to a lot of places. There isn't enough warmth there. There isn't a spark of fire. There isn't a spark of a kindling of anything that would help the soul to God. It is all form. It is all ritual. It is all cold. There's something frigid about it. 
spiritual hypothermia. It seems to me that the language of this text is interesting. This word iniquity, for instance, is an interesting word. If you turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, you'll find this word used by the Apostle Paul where he talks about uh, the, the man of sin. And uh, he talks, uh, he comes across this word because uh, this, this word iniquity, let me find it for you. When he said the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And here is the same word, this word iniquity, because iniquity shall abound. The mystery of iniquity is working. Iniquity is abounding. What does that word iniquity mean? It simply means lawlessness. Because the mystery of lawlessness does, does work. Because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will wax cold. Ladies and gentlemen, we are seeing in America, we are seeing in our churches tonight, the spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of iniquity. We can talk about a lot of things being wrong. We can look for a lot of causes, a lot of reasons for this problem of spiritual hypothermia or a lessening of love and a lessening of warmth and a lessening of concern among God's people. But ladies and gentlemen, we are living in an atmosphere that is pregnant with lawlessness. I don't have time to go into lawlessness as it, as it has pervaded our society. We've heard enough about that perhaps already. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a, there is a spirit. There is a spirit of lawlessness which has gripped the spiritual atmosphere in which you and I are living. We heard a wonderful message from Brother Sullivan yesterday. I tell you, I thrilled to hear that good message. Thank God for that good truth. But there are people all across this country, Brother Sullivan, who will listen to a message of truth from your lips or from mine or some other preacher and will go away and say, that's just his idea. I think I can take it or leave it. Ladies and gentlemen, if it's God's word, you will take it or leave it at the peril of your soul. I attended a camp meeting as a visitor several years ago. <clears throat> Brother Archer was the evangelist, one of the evangelists. And uh, we fell into conversation to close of service one night. I suppose the crowds were running 300 to 400 in attendance in the evening services. Those good men were preaching their hearts out and praying and they were minding God the very best they knew. The people were polite and listening. They were, there were very few amens and very, very few hands raised and testimony to the truth. There was very little move when the altar call was given. It was tough, I tell you. I felt sorry for those men preaching the way they were, having such little response. I said, Brother Archer, I appreciate the good message and the effort you put into it and how God helped you. He looked at me and said, you know, Brother Wardlaw, you know what's the matter in this camp meeting? I said, I, I don't know. What is the matter? He said, the problem is we have people in this camp meeting who have already made up their minds. They're not going the old-fashioned way. They're not going to take God's way. They don't care what you say or what God says. They're not going that way. I want to tell you something, friend. It is the spirit of iniquity. It is the spirit of lawlessness. 
We think we can take this word into our hands and interpret it any way we want to and twist it to mean anything we want to make it mean. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, it is an insult to the intelligence of an almighty God and the power of an almighty God to take this word and try to make it mean what we want it to mean. I believe God had it mean exactly what he wanted it to mean. Our problem is not explaining it. You don't want a new version because you don't understand the Word of God. You're trying to find a lesser way. You're trying to find an easier way out. The problem with a lot of people we have who come to the altar and go away is not a problem of knowledge. It's not a problem of knowing what they ought to do. It's a problem of being obedient to God and doing what they know in their heart God wants them to do. And ladies and gentlemen, if we're not careful, we foster the spirit of rebellion and the spirit of iniquity and our lawlessness. Nobody can tell me what to do. Preacher can preach. Evangelist can preach. But we're lawless. If you care to turn to the book of 1 John, you'll find a rather interesting definition of sin. Where it said sin is the transgression of the law. I think it was Daniel Steele who translates that and said that literally means that sin is lawlessness. I don't think you're all asleep. I want to tell you something, friend. I'm trying to talk to you about the cause of the spiritual hypothermia. You take an individual who loves God's Word and who's walking in all the light and obeying God in every minute detail of his life. He's not feeling cold. Let the winds blow, brother. He, he has God the robe of righteousness on. He goes to the secret place of prayer and God warms his heart and does something to his soul and he comes out to do battle with the infernal force of hell. But you take the person who's looking for an easier way and looking for a way out. He can freeze to death. He can commit spiritual suicide because in his heart he has made up his mind he's not going to do what God wants him to do. Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. Not only is that word iniquity interesting, but that word many is interesting. I'm not a Greek student. I, uh, I have some good books I rely on, some people that I trust like Wheaton and Clark and Wesley and Strong and some other people. I got interested in this word one day as I was looking at this and reading my Bible and studying in this, this portion of Scripture. What does this word many mean? I came across an interesting observation. I think it's found in Wheaton's commentary when he tells us in that in this section of scripture that this word many really has an article in front of it and it really means the majority. Read that text of scripture again because lawlessness shall abound. The love of the majority shall wax cold. 
Have we not seen that happen in our day? Are we not seeing that happen in our day? We thank God for a great crowd at Hope Sound. Thank God for this great auditorium. And thank God for the new edition that's coming. And I believe God's going to help us to fill it by His grace and glory. And I hope we run that thing over and have to push out another wall somewhere. But I want to tell you something, friend. The old-fashioned crowd that are keeping warm are still in the minority. There is a great sense of apathy and uh, there is a great sense of coolness that is across the great face of Christendom today until people really are not really very concerned. The majority of them are not in really having an old-fashioned revival. How do you know? Call for a prayer meeting. Have a red-hot service. Have an altar service. And you find the majority gravitating toward the exits. You find them finding something else more interesting to do. You know why? Because the love of the majority is waxing cold. Here's a tragic situation. Here's a situation that you and I need to look at. The troubles and persecutions that shall beset believers. The spirit of worldliness and self-seeking that a timid faith encourages will issue in a lessening dependence upon God and trust in His providential care. And internal dissensions will destroy that brotherly love which ought to be characteristic of Christians. I'm talking to you about a lessening of love. Trying to preach to you this afternoon about this awful condition of the, what the, the loss of spiritual warmth and spiritual heat and spiritual fiber amongst us. One of the things that's happened across our country and across our church world that has, has almost decimated us and, and uh, distributed our power and destroyed our warmth has been the great lack of brotherly love. What Jesus said would be characteristic of the church. Could I just get real nosy this afternoon? Do you love everybody? Be careful. Do you love everybody? Once in a while, my wife and I, I don't know if it's a sign we're getting old. I don't think that surely couldn't be the case. But my wife and I like to reminisce about some time in the past. We've been talking about from the time when I was in Bible school and times of, that we had known back a few years ago. After we'd finished our conversation, I went to the study. And I sat there and read and knelt and prayed a while. And while I was praying, it seemed like some people began to come back to my mind. People that I used to worship with. People I used to fellowship with. People I used to go to church with. That we don't go to church with anymore. Many of them distances intervened. People who were 
part of organizations that we were part of that we're no longer part of now. And I began to think about those people. Think about the fellowship we'd had with the French and how wonderful it was. And think about the fact that we just don't worship together anymore. We're just not together anymore. And I got on my knees and said, Lord, I want you to look way down in my heart. Do I love them? Do you love them? Several years ago, I was with Brother Griffith. <clears throat> He'd had a problem. There's been some problems that arisen. <clears throat> he wasn't explaining to me the problem. Just We were just having a friendly chat. He said, you know, Don, not too long ago, somebody came to my door and said they mentioned a name out of the past. And said we visited just a little while and when they left, I went to prayer. And he said, God brought the face of this individual to my mind. And the name of that individual came to my memory. And he said, I started to pray for that individual. And he said, I found it difficult. He said, I found a, a coolness in prayer. For that individual, he said, I were our paths had parted. We were no longer in the same fellowship. But he said, I felt a sense of coolness. He said, I stopped praying for that brother and began to pray for myself. He said, Oh God, warm my heart, warm my spirit. Warm my soul until I can pray for my brother. Whether we agree or disagree, whether we fellowship or do not fellowship, oh God, I must love him. He said, Don, I stayed on my face until I could pray, until I loved him. He said, I prayed until if that brother had come to the door and knocked on my door, I could have opened the door and thrown my arms about his neck and said, called him by name and said, Brother, I want you to know I love you. He said, I'd have meant it from the bottom of my heart. Most of us here this afternoon have lived long enough to experience problems, situations perhaps were unpleasant, difficult, difficult happenings in our lives. But I want to ask you something, friend. How's your attitude this afternoon? Has your love gotten cold? If you don't love your brother and you don't love God, if there's come a lessening of love, if you're cooling off in your love to people, there's something that you'd rather not meet. There's some folks you'd rather not fellowship with. There's something that you'd rather not meet in this tabernacle. Friends, something's wrong with your love. You're cold. Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. I don't know when I started, but I'll just quit and get through, I guess. Say, preacher, how do you cure hypothermia? Well, as far as I know, there's only, there's really only one cure. 
If you ever get caught out in the woods, and the wind begins to blow, and you become, your clothing is wet and soaked. And as the wind blows through your clothing, instead of repelling the cold and keeping the heat in, it acts like an air conditioner and it chills your body. The first thing you need to do is get close to the hottest fire you can find. Build you a fire. Get some sticks together. Do something to get warm. Begin to get a hot fire built. The next thing you need to do is begin to rid yourself of the garments that are saturated with the elements of the atmosphere. Amen. I tell you for a sir, if I was out there and got caught in that sudden shower and I felt myself become cold and I recognized I, I had to have help, I'd build a fire, I'd take my coat off, I'd hang it on a twig somewhere, hang it out to dry, I'd get up close as I could to that fire, I might get my shirt off, I'd get as close as I could to that fire, I've got to get warm, I've got to get up close to that fire. I think of what some people need to do to get warm. You need to get rid of what you have that is polluted by the atmosphere. Amen. Some of us have gotten so, we've gotten the trappings, we're so polluted with the atmosphere that we live in. You need to get rid of some things. I'm convinced that even the conservative homeless people, some of us have a lot of junk we don't need. Get rid of it. It has a chilling effect on your soul. Say, well, so-and-so has it, and they don't see it. You don't know what their temperature is. You're not responsible for their temperature. If it bothers you, get rid of it. Amen. I tell you, friends, we need, we need some real teaching along the line of separation. We need some real practice of separation. Just because you may have changed the name on a shingle across the church door or because you may have done whatever you did, it's no guarantee that you're going to be spiritual from here on out. You're going to have to pay the price. Brother, if you've got taking on some things and doing some things that God is founding on, get rid of it. That thing that is polluted by the world and saturated with the atmosphere of an ungodly worldly system will sap you of your strength and take away your spiritual vitality and rob you of your spiritual warmth. Get close to a good fire. Keep a warm atmosphere. I tell you where I feel like in many cases we're missing it across our movement. We're not paying enough attention to atmosphere. We have an eagle eye out for some things. We have our guard up against some things. But we're content to go to service Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, some of us, and never have a moving of the Spirit of the Holy One in our midst. Never do we get warm in the place of prayer. I'm not just talking about sweating. I'm talking about God coming and breaking up the fountains of the deep of your soul and the Holy Ghost moving in your heart until you feel warm, until you, the tears flow, until God breaks up your soul. 
talking about atmosphere. What must I do? I must keep in a warm atmosphere. Several years, two or three years ago, not several, two or three, had the privilege of being in a meeting where Leroy Adams Jr. was doing some of the preaching. He made a statement something like this. He said, the church of today reminds me of a mother with cold arms. Cold arms. No warmth. No nurture. No help. Just cold. Harsh. Metallic. Brittle. Lost our ability to weep. Lost our brokenness. I want to tell you something, friend. It's atmosphere that grips people. A year ago in March, I had the privilege of being here in Hope Sound, filling this pulpit for a service, preaching in the ministerial. We have a son in school here, and a daughter was here at that time as a student. And one of the girls from the church out in, out in the west where we'd pastored is here. And uh, one of the good board members of this school, Brother Sonny Lawrence, a member of that church. And Sonny and I got together and we said, let's, let's take the kids out. Someday at noon, let's, let's get some pizza. Now, all kids live, love pizza. Matthew Harden doesn't like it, but I like it, and most of the rest of us like it. So we went to a place where you get all the pizza you can eat for I don't know what it was. So we were enjoying our meal. I can see that scene in my mind's eye. My son and the girl and Brother Lawrence sitting there. We got to talking about just sort of reminiscing how good God had been to us. That girl looked at me. She said, you know, Brother Wardlaw, when you were our pastor, I had a lot of struggles. And she did. Talented. The devil bid high for her soul. She said, I had a lot of struggles. Sometimes the devil said, there's no use to go to church. But she said it was always so warm at church. There was always such an atmosphere in church. I was afraid to stay away. I was afraid I'd miss something good. She said, I was afraid to stay away. I knew I'd miss something. I didn't want to miss that atmosphere. And she sat there with the tears trickled down her cheeks. And Brother Lawrence and my son and I sat there and reminisced and wept over our pizza and our Pepsi while we reminisced about the warm atmosphere. She didn't have anything to say about those great messages I preached or about the great singing that was done or about anything else. You know what she remembered? She remembered atmosphere. She remembered tears. She remembered brokenness. There was a warm place. It was a place out of the storm. Oh, friend, is your church warm? Is your heart warm? 
I don't think I'll ever forget the last service. We were privileged to be in that church on a Sunday morning. I didn't feel like preaching. It seemed like the Holy Spirit came in such a powerful way. I stepped down to where my wife was sitting in the auditorium. I said, dear, I want you to go home. Get a loaf of bread and a plate and a knife. Bring them back to church. Please hurry. Out the door, up the sidewalk to the parsonage and back down the sidewalk and into the church she came. I said, people, I believe God wants us to do something this morning. I believe God wants us to break bread. How many here were ever in a bread-breaking service? How long has it been? I said, dear, I believe God wants us to break bread together. Remember that service, Sonny? The people have never been in a bread-breaking service, and so I tried to explain a little bit how it was done. I said, I'll tell you what, you just watch me and then you do what the Lord wants you to do. Brother Greg Lawrence is sitting on the front seat. He'd been playing his instrument during the song service. I went to Greg. I said, Greg, is there any reason why you and I couldn't break bread together? Is there anything hindering our fellowship? Is there any coolness between you and me? He just broke out and bawled. The tears ran down his face. That big old boy just stood there and shook. He said, Brother Wardlaw, I don't know of a thing. Well, I said, give me some of your bread and I'll take some of yours. And I want to tell you something, friend. Holy pandemonium came to that little congregation. Off to my left, over at the side of the church, I saw two of the members of that church. One of them a young man in his late 20s. Another one, a man who owns a business in that town. The young man works for the older one. There had been some sort of problems existed between them. I saw that young fellow take him over, take that older fellow over. They got in the corner over there by the, by the wall. And I tell you, I saw that young fellow get all red in the face. And he just bawled and he cried. And I saw them embrace and they, they broke bread together. I looked out over that congregation. People were weeping and blessed and broken. But that wasn't all that I saw. Our oldest son who's here in Hope Sound in the quartet, college quartet sings, you see him playing the piano. Dale had not really been very spiritually minded. He'd never given us much of any trouble in the home. He just sort of acted like, and by his own confession, he felt like he could paddle his own canoe and do his own thing. He didn't really need the church. He didn't really need God. He didn't really need anything. He could do it himself. It's been a long time since Dale had been the altar. I don't think he'd fought against it. He just felt like he could do it himself. But I saw Dale go to one of those men in that church. Been a little friction. Problems had developed over the months he hadn't understood. I saw Dale go to that man, ask his forgiveness, and bawl like a baby. I saw them fall into each other's arms and confess. And my boy has never been the same from that 
moment to this. What are you talking about, preacher? A warm atmosphere. Friend, I'm convinced there isn't more rules we need. It isn't a tighter fist. It isn't a more iron-handed aristocracy. It's a warmer heart. A tear in the eye. Brokenness. How long has it been since you were broken? How long has it been since you made an open confession? You made a mistake. You got broken. I wasn't going to tell this, but I was up in Ann Arbor, Michigan several years ago holding a revival meeting where Matthew Harden was pastoring. Brother Harden's always interesting in the services when he chairs a meeting or conducts a service is always interesting. You never know what he's going to do. One night he had everybody in the congregation sing one verse of a special song. I never saw it done before or since. Scared some of those dear people half to death. But this night was different. It was a different atmosphere. Brother Harden was short and clipped and, and nervous about the preliminaries. The atmosphere was different. He turned the pulpit over to me before I was in any ways ready for it. The pianist hadn't even left the, the piano. The man who prayed hadn't even left the platform. He just turned and said, All right, Brother Ward, I will preach for us. And he just left the platform almost in a trot. I said, I don't know what to do. God is here. Somebody needs to mind the Holy Spirit. I tell you what I think we ought to do. I think we ought to stand to our feet. I said, and bow our heads in, a, in silent prayer. I don't know how long we stood there. Surely it wasn't too long. It seemed like a long time. When I heard a sound over here to my left, I looked. One of the young ladies had started back an aisle to go to the wife of the former pastor of that church with whom she had had differences and about whom she had spread some malicious gossip. She went up to that precious pastor's wife and broke and confessed and melted. I don't have to tell you what happened after that. Pandemonium. Not people coming to the altar. People going to each other. I'll never forget one scene I saw and I'm coming to a close. There was a rather portly short sort of a man in that congregation whose wife was a very thin, very short lady. They were standing right back in the middle part of the congregation he was holding on to the seat. She was holding on to the seat in front of her. Folks were moving all around them, but they didn't seem to be moved. When all of a sudden I saw him turn and look at her, and about that time she turned and looked at him. And he just opened his arms up and almost swallowed her. She just disappeared. He whispered in her ear for a while, and he bawled, 
And he cried, and he got his tears down on her, on her shoulder. And, oh, I tell you, it was good to see. When he got through talking, she got untangled where she could talk, and she talked in his ear. And then they did have a clinch. The next night when they came to church, I saw them coming in holding hands. I said, something's changed. How is the atmosphere in your home? How is the atmosphere in your church? What is the atmosphere in your heart this afternoon? Are you suffering from spiritual hypothermia? Listen, friend, you need to get by a hot fire. You need to have God rekindle something in your soul. You need to pray till something's warm in your breast. You need God to give you something until you can love people and love God and in turn love a lost world. The Bible said the many, the majority, but it didn't say everybody. I want to tell you something, friend. By the grace of God, I mean to keep a warm heart. I mean to keep a warm spirit. I mean to keep a, a broken attitude. If I have to go to people and confess, I mean to confess. If I must go in and make a restitution, if I must back up, I mean to back up, brother. I mean to keep warm in my soul. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But you don't have to dry up and freeze. Thank God you can keep warm and happy and, and vibrant and fiery in your spirit and soul and go shouting right on through the gates of glory. Hallelujah. God can keep you warm in your soul. Let's pay the price to do it. Shall we stand? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't